like I'm in reinventing myself all the time. And even now, I mean, I think we do that. I think that it's important to reinvent Sylvia ourselves. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Judith Marks White. I'm a writer and was invited to talk to Sylvia on Sylvia and me. And I'm the me. <laughs> so we're going to <laughs> begin. Okay. And I just wanted to say hi. Well, Judith, um, it's such a delight having you here with me today. And um, as you said, you were a writer. When did you actually start writing? I would say <clears throat> that I began writing when I was a child. I was an only child, and I think that had a lot to do with it. I would spend a lot of time writing little skits, putting them on with my friends, charging my audience five cents <laughs> to come and see and to see us perform. And um, I just started writing. It was part of, of who I was. And it evolved. And um, it was interesting because when I was in college, I thought for a while that I would go into medicine, a far, a far cry from the writing. But I switched my major and did become a writer was trained to be a writer, went on to graduate school, and just it just evolved in many, many directions. And you were a freelance journalist. You worked yeah. for, for Time. Uh... I worked for Time. Well, I worked for Time Life Books. Okay. So I worked on the Life World Library and the Life Nature Library. And that was a fun gig. And then from Time, um, at that point, I, I had a child. And I moved to Connecticut and became uh, very actively involved with my writing career here and was asked to do a humor column in 1985, which is how that began. Which you've basically been doing for quite some time. It's 1985. I've been doing the column. It was a weekly column for years and years. It was at first, at first it was illustrated by Howard Muntz, who was a fabulous illustrator, and he would take my column and just run with it. Then the budget changed, as budgets do, and they no longer had Howard doing my illustrations, and we went into photographs instead. I had a photo, and um, I just continued. And, and back, back then, it was called uh, the light touch. Light touch. And you are known for your humor. In fact, you wrote, you've all, you're also the author of two books, um, Bachelor's Degree and Seducing Harry and Epicurean Affair. And you put a lot, especially in the last one, you put a lot of humor. And so you're at that time weekly, light touch, had um, a lot of humor in it. Can you explain why you thought that was important to do and why humor? Well, it's funny. <clears throat> when I was asked to become a humor columnist, I thought, oh, really? <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to be funny. And I was very, very apprehensive because I wasn't sure how to handle it back in 1985. I was really new to it. 
And I remember my husband, who is now sadly deceased, was in the room with me at the time when I got the phone call from the editor who asked me to become their humor columnist. And my husband, I was about to say, oh, really? I'm not sure about this. And he said, just say yes, which was a very good lesson I learned, which is never say no. <laughs> Always say yes. <laughs> That's so right. I, I took on the job. And, you know, it, it was daunting at first because I really didn't know exactly how to handle it. But I eased my way into it and it became a huge success. And I loved it. And um, I learned through the years how to write a column. Um, but then after a while, it wasn't always humor that I was writing. It was a lot of serious reflective essays. So why was that? I mean, what what happened at that time when when you started doing a more serious? Was there anything specific that started you on that? I just became much more introspective as I grew up <laughs> and grew older, as we all do. Um, and I was just finding that I was writing articles for magazines that were much more serious in nature. And I started to incorporate those kinds of columns. And after a while, I decided that the light touch headline wasn't appropriate. So I changed it to in other words, which kind of covers anything I want to say. And, I, and I'm very lucky in that I'm given free reign to write whatever I want. Well, I've read quite a bit of what you've written. And even on the serious notes, there's still a light touch in there, which to me, as serious as things are, it's something that we need. Absolutely. And, I, and of course, you know, that I pepper everything with a little humor. I can't help it. I do. But um, there's this other side of me. In fact, it's funny because I don't think of myself as, as that funny. I don't think of myself as a funny person. I think of myself as a more serious person. And so <clears throat> it always amuses me when people only see me as the humorist. But there's this flip side of me, which I feel very connected to in my writing. You, uh, you know, a lot of people who are quite serious, you know, write dramatical essays and so on. What you're able to do, because you're able to see something bright within, within you know, some of the dark, um, serious. Yeah. You know, and I've had, some, as we all have, I've had some very dark moments in my life. Um, and I think that also was the reason why I needed to express myself in a different kind of a way. So the writing was very cathartic for me and it got me through some very difficult times in my life. My husband unfortunately passed away and it was a very sudden death. It was shocking actually, because it happened right in front of me. And I started writing about it. And I feel that my writing, I was very lucky that I had an outlet in which to explore my feelings. And you said you've written for uh, a number of different magazines. So has it been, um, has it been rewarding being able to do this for a variety of different, uh, you know, venues and not just for Absolutely. one? 
Oh, yeah. I've always written for other publications. I still do. And I always wanted to write a novel. It was always in my head to write a novel. Um, and I decided later in life, when I, you know, when I was in my uh, 60s, that if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? So I was very lucky. I really believe luck plays a part. <laughs> I was very lucky in that um, I went to a book signing party. And at that party, I met my agent, or who was to become my agent. And she, she, I was introduced to her and she said, well, I'd like to see some of what you've written. I showed her what I've written. I sent her a bunch of stuff. And she said, I think you need to do a book. So I started writing my first novel. And it was amazing because she liked it and she sold it to Random House. And I was amazed that this happened and it was great. And then I got a, a two book deal. So I wrote another book and now I'm working on writing a third book, but it's not fiction. It's more of a narrative memoir. So you went from getting an offer to write a humor column of which you had no confidence of doing, but your husband said, do not say no, take it. And you yes. went from there to actually being able to not just have a career, but create a life where you're doing something that gives you fulfillment, um, gives you satisfaction, and really helps a lot of other people to be able to read a lot of what you've written. Yeah, it, I feel very lucky in that, um, that I have been able to carve out a life a writing life. I also taught for many years. I was, um, I taught at Norwalk Community College and that was fabulous. I loved it because it was such a departure from, from my isolated life <laughs> and being out there with the kids who were great. So I did that for 12 years and that was wonderful too. Was that humor writing that you were teaching? No, I was teaching English composition. Oh. And, um, yeah, I think I used my college syllabus. It was great. <laughs> so it's always like I'm in reinventing myself all the time. And even now, I mean, I think we do that. I think that it's important to reinvent ourselves. Yes, so it is. One, it, it puts some spice in your life, but also it, it takes away from the, you know, as we, as we get older, not old, as we get older, there's so many things that maybe we didn't do, or maybe we're tired of doing something as we go into a variety of different acts. I don't even call them chapters anymore. It's this one. It's that one. We, you know, uh, we're, we're in our young adult. We're then in whatever they call middle age. We might have a family. We're raising them. We become empty nesters and so on. And so with every, uh, event, there's a new act that we're doing, there's something else. And it's great because it's not a complete reinvention. It's taking what we've done and adding something else in and then maybe mixing it up. And wow, here we go. 
Yes, I agree with everything you're saying, that we embellish what we already are and we add to it. I think it's true. Yeah. And for so many, it's difficult for them to see all the different things that they've done. And as you said, you started doing something, you, you wrote them in your 60s. Big deal. A number sometimes stops people, especially women, not so much men, but women from right. moving and, and forward. Everything that we do as we raise our families or you know, the women who are single and out there having a career, there's a lot of women who prevent themselves from doing something else because there's a number and, you know, Absolutely. that is so true, Sylvia. And we hold ourselves back. I mean, I try not to do that. And uh, not because, you know, I'm so wonderful that I can overcome anything. I don't mean that, but I mean, <laughs> it's just very um, sustaining. And during the pandemic, especially my writing became so important to me because we were all sequestered at home or should be. And every day was just filled with writing. It still is. And I also found, Sylvia, that I was starting to write poetry. <laughs> um, I started to write some prose poems and I entered a contest with Writer's Digest. And I'm telling you, it was so weird because I won an award and I thought, wow, I can actually do this and make money writing poems. <laughs> I thought, you never know. You never know. So I'm saying you just have to go with what you feel in your gut, not be afraid, just do it. And you get gutsier, I think, as you get older. I do believe that. Well, the, the, the fear, um, you figure, hey, if they don't, I, I like myself. If they don't like me, I'm just going forward. And I, yes, because you don't have, you, hopefully we've learned a lot. We're still going to make mistakes. Big deal. Uh, right. And moving forward and being gutsy. And that's the whole thing. Not being afraid, getting piece by piece, getting rid of whatever was holding us back. Absolutely. You mentioned the the pandemic, and one of the um, one of the articles you you wrote was about isolation. And can you go into that because you started off where a friend of yours said something, and you wrote a really compelling, humorous piece, but something that is so resonant to so many people. I mean, the pandemic is and has been the last year, year and a half, a scary, scary thing. Can you tell us why you wrote this about isolation and some of the pieces that you put in there? I wrote several pieces on isolation, um, some humorously written, some not, most of them not, most of them serious. I felt that the pandemic was kind of a life altering lesson in a way that it taught us how to be alone. It taught us, you know, it's okay. We're gonna make it, we're going to survive. It's gonna be a little tough. It's going to be different and it needs to be talked about. And I just felt that I needed to take the word, I like sequestered, it sounds so much fancier. Yes, it does. <laughs> take being sequestered to kind of an art form because 
it became very meaningful. And in a way, it loosened us up a lot. We didn't feel the pressure of having to get out there and push ourselves as much as we did. And it was very relaxing and calming in many ways. Um, not to say that it isn't a tragic and wasn't a tragic event, um, horrible, but it gave me a new perspective on life. It really did. I mean, I hate to sound so philosophic, but it really did. No. It just brought me in touch with myself much more than ever. Well, what, one of the things you said, it defined our resiliency and grit, our unswerving dedication to, to determination and strength of character. And you quoted on one of them, Franz Schubert, who said, you believe happiness to be derived from the place in which once you have been happy, but in truth, it is centered in ourselves. And that's what, um, I, that to me is what the sequestering, not isolation, the quarantine, did was a lot of people, you know, I did, you said you did, had to look inside and be able to kind of uh, not just connect with other people, but connect with ourselves and yeah. really learn how to be alone within ourselves. Yeah. Which is difficult for so Very many. Difficult. And uh, as horrible as it's been and as tragic as it's been for so many of us, it's given us the time for reflection to see that we're resilient, that we're going to get out. Yes. So what are some of the other messages? You said you've written many on them. You also wrote one about when you finally went to your your salon guy, your hairdresser, which I thought was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. But, you know, so much changed. What else? Uh, tell us about something else that you that you recently wrote or wrote during the pandemic. Um, well, I would intersperse the serious with the humorous, like getting my guy, my hairdresser over to cut my hair. I didn't even go to the salon. He came to me. That's how terrified I was to go out to his salon. So he came to me. My hair at that point was beyond <laughs> repair. It had grown in, you know, in a year and a half and longer, my hair had grown and he walked in. He said, oh, my God, Judith, what's happened to you? So we cut my hair. And um, I did other columns about why bother putting makeup on? Nobody's going to see you anyway. Um, and then I would write these serious pieces too, where um, I basically talked about what you're referring to, which is how to cope, coping mechanisms, which for me, I mean, aside from my, my kids who are grown now, so I don't, and far away, so I don't, I don't get to see them, which is a tremendous loss for me. I really turned inward to my writing. My writing has become <laughs> like my best friend. It's That's... just, it's just something that it's so close to, to who I am. And it's, and it's, and it's something just... that you can share with others. So yeah. As close as it is to you, it's something that you are sharing with others who are um, probably feeling so 
Um, they're in such a place where they need something like what you're writing. A lot of people, um, I find are suffering. They really are. Yeah. It's very difficult for them. Um, and I don't know if it's because they don't have something of their own that gives them some sort of deep satisfaction. I don't know what it is, but I know that a lot of people are having a really tough time. And I try through my work, through my writing, to kind of impart some sort of help. I mean, not that I'm a psychiatrist, but that that they can maybe learn from my experiences how to perhaps come out of themselves a little bit and feel better. I mean, I don't do how-to articles, but I'm just saying that. But you see, how-to articles sometimes are things that people aren't going to read because everyone thinks that they know how to do a lot. It's one thing to go to a how-to, uh, how to fix this or how to tune up a car or something. But when it comes yeah. to ourselves, I, I know for me, I would rather read something that somebody wrote without it specifically saying, here's how to do this. But within oh, yeah. the essay, the article, you pick up what you can, how you interpret it yourself. And it winds yeah. up helping people. That's right. And I'm really not trying to come across as, you know, I'm such a know-it-all and I'm so terrific and I'm so brave. The pandemic is really tough. But I find that um, I try to find ways to self-soothe, to make myself feel better about it all. So I'm really writing these pieces for me. And by doing so, I hope I'm reaching other people. I mean, it was, it's wonderful to think I am. And um, that's really my main goal when I'm writing. But I'm doing it for me. It gives me great joy. But that's it. You see, the whole thing is, is you're doing it for you. And that is one of the things that I've tried to get across. People can do things for themselves. And then all of a sudden, without even realizing it, it, it helps others. Um, because sometimes you don't realize that, oh, what somebody's feeling is the same way that I'm feeling while wow, there's somebody else out there. Or, gee, look what she's doing because of this. And wow, you know, I'm sitting here, especially during the sequestering, the quarantine, with people not feeling good about themselves. And now people coming out and all of a sudden coming into public and I haven't had my hair done in this long. What do I do? Yeah, I've probably too. put on, you know, it's either people who have put on weight during the pandemic or those who went and exercised to the nth degree. So th there was no kind of middle ground in there. And it, it really helps to hear that there are other people out there going through some of the same things or maybe something different that you didn't even realize and you put it together. So I think what you're doing in your, in your column is fantastic. And any of the other articles that you write, whether they're, as I said, whether they're serious or they're just humorous, 
from what I've read, even the serious, there's there's something in there that makes somebody smile and not be so um, not be depressed or upset after reading it, but find that little piece that uh, they could relate to, or just take a piece and laugh. Humor is one of the best. Yeah, things I mean that. that we have. It really is, and and again, you know, I think as we do mature that everything isn't a big deal. It used to be a big deal. It's not such a big deal anymore. I really feel that way. Definitely. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Fine. Everything (laughs) will be okay. (laughs) Yeah. We let things roll off our back a lot more because we've learned it's not that important. It's really not that important. And also, Sylvia, that's not to say I don't have my own dark moods and go to my dark places. I do. I mean, it's like life is tough. And, you know, as I said, I had the most fabulous husband. Fabulous. I was he was great. And he died. And then I made a huge mistake. I married another guy. The The worst possible person I could have ever, ever chosen to marry. That's another story and another, another, another Sylvia and me. Okay. But also, you know, that was not good. And I, again, I wrote about it and got through it. And as we do with all of our life situations. So, you know, I'm not always up. Yeah. Oh. Writing about something like that. And, and because going through a divorce is, is, totally devastating for so many people. Um, and, and and with such a great guy. I mean, he was so great. And then to go to that. Yeah. And, and we make mistakes and we make wrong choices and, and it's the resiliency, which you talked about that brings us back. And so you are a very resilient person who had someone who loved you, who said, do not say no. And your life changed because of that. That's true. So you're writing a th- another book. You're on to uh, yes, a it's book. Yes, it's different from the fiction. And I happen to love writing fiction. I always feel much safer writing fiction because I can deal with imaginary characters. This book is a, nar- they call it in the genre, a creative narrative memoir, which means you are, I am um, applying fiction, but it's built on very real stories. Just like my column, you know, I take a nugget of truth and then I kind of run with it. So the book is a lot about a mother and daughter and a lot about the little black dresses Mm. throughout my childhood and adulthood and using the black dress kind of as a vehicle. But you know, it's not an easy book to write. It's a very revealing book. Um, And I'm having a little trouble with it in that it's so out there and it's like, I'm not used to doing this. So I'm struggling a little bit with this book. Okay, well, I can't wait for it to be out because it sounds fabulous. Thank you. Judith, where can people get in touch with you or see um, uh, your, you know, your, your columns, see some of your work? 
Where where should uh, people well, be? Directed? I am online as well as, you know, a hard copy in the paper. The paper comes out on Fridays. A lot of people are complaining they're not getting their paper, but if they call the bar, the uh, yeah. But we're talking to an we're we're talking to a national, if not international, audience here. The listeners. I'm online. The column is online. All you have to do is go to Westport News, put my name in, and it should pop up. It does. Yeah, it does. Uh, so they can reach me that way. My website is being kind of reconstructed at the moment, or I'd say go to my website. Judith, I thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, uh, this has been uh, fun, um, and it's, it's great. So thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for all your wonderful questions. <laughs> I, I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Join me next week when I talk to another extraordinary, inspiring woman. This has been a Life of Prey production.